0: We're live. So welcome, Eddie. Thank you for having me very much, Johan. I'm very stoked to have you here. So I think, I think we're going to go with the old sort of cliched way of introducing a guest. I'm going to shoot it off to you to just give a quick introduction of yourself and yeah, and then maybe tell the viewers on why you're here.
1: Okay. Um, my name is uh, Ed, Edward Eadie. Um, I'm, a, I'm a 25 going on 26 year old male living in the UK and I'm currently undergoing a graduate scheme to become a, um, a uh, social worker so that, 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 that's me, me in a brief without going into too much detail. I'm here because I'm, I, I'm interested in, in our deep and interesting conversations that always happen uh, spontaneously So now it's a chance to capture those weird moments of wackiness.
0: I would say that introduction almost sounded scripted.
1: <laughs> Been revising for months <laughs> for this moment, so <laughs> let me have it. Let me have
0: it. Uh, I'm sure we're gonna go back to your current graduate scheme later on, but I would like to begin with just talking a little bit about how we met, actually, because I, as I remember it, I think it was first year of economics classes in Scotland, correct?
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, I think it was. I think we we met through a mutual friend, um, Chris. And then he. Oh, yeah, that's true. He, that's true. He poked it off to Denmark, didn't he, or something? And is now living the life of a fast paced entrepreneur. Uh,
0: he, yeah, he's a CEO of a startup, tech startup company, isn't it?
1: Yeah.
0: Whereas you're a social worker now. So, I mean, I guess. <laughs> we we, we can just leave, that leave at it, leave it at Chris. Leave
1: it at Chris. Yeah. <laughs> and now I'm just, just no,
0: because <laughs> No, because I remember seeing you in Econ class, this sort of hip, hipster esque guy with this funny hat, and some sort of, I don't know, did you have a, you had some sort of scarf, didn't you, as well? Or was it a jacket that looked a little bit like, I don't know. It looked cool, but it didn't match your accent. That was Thank my first initial, much. like, sort of <clears throat> reaction of meeting you.
1: I try and break barriers to, uh, to, the, to the social norms that we have built among ourselves. Uh, no, I remember it because... Um, yeah, I do remember economics, because I've always found it quite fun from the opposite side of things. Like, um, economics is incredibly built up and is quite a relatively new social science, isn't it? And when it, especially when you start to learn it from the, you know, fundamentals, you realise how flawed it, it is, how they try to, you know, quantify the unquantifiable and, you know, the caesaris peribus of assuming all things are equal when they aren't and never will be. So I, I find it quite funny, and I always I remember talking to some of the tutors about you know, theoretical economics, you know, like uh, it Austrian economics, but um, we're not allowed, you know, we don't study that undergrad, so um, I quickly became quite uninterested in it.
0: Yeah, I feel like a lot of business schools nowadays would never even touch the subject of Austrian economics unless they were to critique it. Oh, yeah.
1: Which is, which is ironic but, in many senses as well, because even, especially Aberdeen, which is, and most universities, are, are quite liberal and left-leaning. They 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 still teach like liberal classical economic. They're still kind of coming at it from a very not classical in the sense of economic classical, but in a very traditional sense of economic principles from a liberal standpoint of it, which is you know almost hypocritical in some senses. But I I don't know. It's not my complete forte economics, but that's my that's my small take on it.
0: That's an interesting take, though. I'm sure we could make a podcast about that take alone. (laughs) But I would I would like to ask you. So how does a guy? With that accent, obviously being from London, I yeah, you can hear that I'm keep remarking on his accent because it's a cool one. Windsor,
1: darling, Windsor.
0: Windsor, yeah. <laughs> How does a guy from Windsor end up in northeast Scotland to begin with?
1: Um, I I don't know. I, I think it's probably because it's as far away from the south as one can as one can get, can get, with it still being a good university. Um, yeah, well, so, so after after univers- after I think um, my A level, so like uh, Scottish highers, uh, before university, I was a bit kind of lost as a child, or as like a, you know a, a adolescent, and I went into carpentry and did other stuff like that. I got quite interested in the uh, in the business side of things. So I think that, and then my, my dad obviously pushing me to go to university and get out of uh, manual labour, was uh, it was kind of the thing that got me off the of university. And then yeah picking business because i was always interested in actually the financial side of it um and the actual management side of, of how companies work was kind of the initial spark that got me to university and then through there you know i actually really enjoyed it uh, mainly the human behavioral side of it but scotland is as it it will always it will always be home it'll always be a home of sorts
0: but why aberdeen then why didn't you apply to maybe edinburgh or glasgow like the bigger cities was it because you felt like southern england was too flat you needed something that <laughs> oh you <laughs> <was> needed it <a, laughs> was a stark contrast to
1: it <laughs> yeah I, I think um because i remember like going up to aberdeen to have a look at it first and it's and and i always see it as like for, for me i've always found that um once i'm in like a place it's almost like there's like a time scale on how long i stay there before i get bored anyway and I kind of went to Aberdeen and I kind of thought, actually, it's a really good size. And I don't think I'd ever live there forever. So I was thinking, you know, you could probably do quite a good few student years there. And then you can move to one of the bigger cities like Edinburgh or Glasgow to do, like, you know, uh, I don't know, adult work, as it were, because they've got more activities for people who are actually doing normal work versus students, where there's always going to be a good student nightlife because it's so, you know, endogenous to what, what they create of it. And that's where I actually did go next, was, was Glasgow. For for a long spell in my in my career.
0: Which we will obviously deal with later on in this podcast. But yeah, you're right though, Aberdeen is a very it's a sick student city. But I mean, being a boy from Windsor, obviously that houses the renowned Eton private school, right? Uh, and also the Windsor door. Castle.
1: Oh yeah, we love
0: the castle. Next, uh, yeah. I mean, coming to Aberdeen then, like this sort of greyish Granite-esque, strange place. It must have been, yeah, I don't know, quite strange, it was, but also very interesting. Yeah,
1: it's quite nice. Um, I, I mean, it depends on how critical one wants to be um, of, of where they grow up. I personally find where I, yeah, where, where you grow up, you never really want to live, I find, if it's a town like Windsor is, like it's a medium-sized town, um, it's incredibly conservative in, its, in what I'd say more so in its social views that kind of um, annoy me. but like they're quite um, it's quite slow moving. It's so expensive. It, it means that local shops can't start up without heavy capital, which means that you know you have less innovation, you have less spreading of ideas. You've got a lot of people who they don't like people kind of being a bit too liberal. They kind of like you know the whole expensive posh cafes that you know that hit the kind of movement brings, but they don't actually want you know a lot of the uh, I, I'd say um, social movement or you know. they're they're quite classist I think if you're going to refine it down they're quite yeah set in their ways in that sense
0: yeah that's what I found so interesting with Scotland because I always viewed Scotland as sort of a mix between Scandinavian countries and England you still have this sort of class class structure to it but it's also it also has a very it also have a lot of progressive sort of policies going on for them like you know renewable energies and I don't know, Aberdeen, to begin with, I was surprised. I mean, they had a bunch of hipster cafes and a business That was, yeah, very surprising to me, to <laughs> say the least.
1: Yeah, I mean, Aberdeen is a bit of a strange one because it's it's so far north and it is, it's it's a relatively small city with, what, 250,000 people. But, yeah, it, it seems to have, it seems to actually churn out quite a lot of um, innovators. It has actually got quite a good vibe about it, quite a creative vibe, which is, um. It's like, like you put like you your finger on is it's quite strange for being where it is, and it's not Edinburgh, it's not Glasgow. And those, those relatives are so much further south, and people never really realise it. They kind of say, ah, oh, Scotland, that's just like a tiny country. It is still tiny, but some places are actually quite far apart. But yeah, it's interesting you say about the class thing, because um, especially if you look back in history, Scotland was still heavily oppressed by, um, by England only a couple of hundred years ago. Um, and arguably have been oppressed through economic policy until quite recently but, and that's why i think it's actually very different from england and a lot of their policies are almost like sometimes you can kind of see them as you know two fingers up to, to the english um, uh, parliament but like with the whole covid kind of situation at the moment you can see how a lot of scottish politics and policies around covid almost go in the polar opposite way to england maybe even just to prove a point but um yeah I think it definitely unifies the country, and that's why it might have a bit of a a, a weird community feel to it, because they kind of have that enemy to, to join and gang up against.
0: Obviously, I'm Swedish, so I can't really make sort of a an objective uh, statement on the situation between England and Scotland, because I feel like there's a lot of there's a lot of things to digest there. There's a lot of historical. A lot of history to to adhere to, and obviously I'm just, I just lived in Scotland for a few years, so I, I don't know much about it. And I heard I heard good and bad about the relationship from both sides. But I want to go back to to your actual experience in Aberdeen, because you were quite you were quite busy when you were up there, weren't you?
1: I, I, I kept myself very occupied. Yeah. Uh, I now you say it, I don't remember what I did. I did a lot of lot of stuff with them. Um, the boxing society which i was then um, captain of for a few years um that that actually took up the majority of my time like like when we we're doing business what we had like a laughably small amount of contact hours a week and you know you've got to keep yourself busy otherwise you're just gonna just gonna you know fall into disrepute so yeah i kept myself busy a lot with that and um, of course hiking doing all the nature lava
0: do you have any feisty boxing stories for us? Maybe a good KO or two?
1: Share. Um, I've, I've KO'd, or I've TKO'd three people, I think, which, is, which in my opinion is better than a KO because a knockout could be like an accident. But a technical knockout is when you're, you're beating them so badly that the referee stops the match because there's no way they're going to win. So that, that's, and it's, it's always such a satisfying ego boost when, when that happens. <laughs> but yeah no, it, it is it's is quite good fun quite good fun but but no one likes a no one so, likes a bragger so
0: <laughs> so essentially pure domination right
1: oh but there's, there's, there's you know, like i remember when i was there and um, the club was going through some um, financial uh, issues so we had like this huge drive to get people into boxing and everyone kind of went up to us when we were kind of at freshers fair or doing promotion and they went, oh, but it's quite an aggressive sport, isn't it? And all of us, well, it's as aggressive as you make it, but we're saying, no, no, it's not aggressive at all. Like, it's, it's just, it's just um, you know, doing sprints most of the time. It's just a complete lie. I think most people who join up to kind of do these contact sports, there's, there's that element of incredible, uh, I don't know, like primordial uh, aggression and dominance about it. Like, that's one of the reasons why I like it, because you used to do rugby for 10 years or something, and you're part of a team, which is always great, is a different sport. But when you're doing boxing or like a solo sport like that, like, it, 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 like you can train as much as you want and you've got like a team around you. But when you're actually in the ring, like it is it is kind of up to you and your own personal drive who's going to win that match. Like if you want it more than any other person, you're going to end up winning the match. So yeah, that's what I quite like about um, it.
0: Unless you get hit by a lucky shot, right? On the on the jaw. I think it's quite interesting when you say said as well about primordial because Face it, everyone loves fighting. So if if you go out on a Saturday night and you hear, or you like, maybe you see a brawl somewhere, everyone's gonna rush to to view it. Yeah, be like deeply excited about the outcome, even though it might be really aggressive. It's still something that triggers people to watch.
1: Well, it, it, it's also um, it's becoming far and further and further pushed away from from the norm, and I think that's a good thing. But I think like when we've become civilized I and mean, we've the past hundred years since the enlightenment kind of theory when we've been trying to push ourselves to become civilized you know away from animal and very separate from the animal kingdom you kind of move ourselves away from these animal instincts which in some ways is good but we still have that deep curiosity about these things that are quite raw in life it's like you know like a like a car crash everyone you know slows down to see what happened like you know that it's wrong you know that a bad thing has happened but yet you still slow down and you look at it. it's the same on a night out when you know, there's commotion and there's like a fight between two people. Like it's, it's interesting to watch because I think in part because there's, a, there's that kind of adrenaline that you get just from viewing it, but also because it's, it's you know, it's, it's no longer part of normal society. It's still like very um, I don't know, put on the periphery we don't like to think of it as going on.
0: But I also think that a lot of people don't really want to sort of reveal the fact that they actually have a dark side and that the- sort of darkness actually makes them excited as well because obviously i would argue without going too much into depth because that was that wasn't really the idea of this podcast but i would i would argue that society today stifles sort of a lot of of things that are like quite pure and raw about being a human because obviously we live in a very, we live in high tech societies and there's no famine. There's no really any wars in our periphery. So it's very easy to just get swallowed up in this sort of whole idea of a safe world. Yeah. And it's very easy to sort of distract yourself with, yeah, I mean, internet, your cell phone, yeah, really whatever. But when you actually think about it and ponder, you're just uh, an ape. <laughs> <laughs>
1: essentially as you look up into the distance get your chest and they aren't you aren't we all just animals <laughs> kicking about yeah but it's an interesting point I, I think where um technology interacts with with people is 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 something which it hasn't really been well i know it's been studied but i think there's still so much more to grasp with it because you know in academia as soon as something comes out and people study it and then reads a paper you're already too late so you can talk from two two angles here like one is like you said like the internet and social media and our, our desire to scroll like that's clearly technology which is actually tuned into our animal instinct or like at least our brain chemistry and is you know hooked on to what causes addiction like you know there are huge social media companies that pour millions of pounds into um their dopamine um kind of behavior or releases so like they they almost like a, have come full circle and actually like, tapped into what is naturally a desire for us which is you know like social gratification and stuff then the other side of it would be technology like um like even now like over zoom like even though it's a great enabler. like people are starting to think of it as a replacer for social contact and forgetting like how much being in person actually does for your for your brain both in terms of communication but also in terms of um you know feel good factors like we like to be around people with, with social beings but yet people are trying to almost like like you said remove that from it you know like all wearables all wearable gadgets or you know constantly trying to move things into a uh, technology-based approach can actually you know you can move too fast and forget that's you know we're more complex than just the mere refinement into technological numbers.
0: Yeah, obviously, I mean the last point you made there is very true, but I think it's just a natural progression of things. I think I've heard some people argue that technology yeah, it's not really part of evolution, but I would argue it definitely is. I mean if people can create a thing like Zoom that's connected to the internet that allows me and you to sit in two complete remote places. That's just a natural progression of of things of our species, right? I would argue.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, in a way, it um, it displaces forms of evolution. Like, if evolution is, is meant to be so that we um, so that we, I suppose, overcome issues that are in our environment, like we kind of invent a way out of those things. And at this point i don't think yeah like you said you can't talk about natural evolution anymore because i mean what is natural is us having you know electricity natural but yeah it's intertwined with our very lives. i mean it'd be interesting to see like you know epigenetics for example ties into technology use but yeah yeah it's an interesting one
0: so as you can see i mean ed they are Quite often, finding ourselves in these situations when we're talking about something and then we just shoot off to a complete different direction and talking about epigenetics or chat shit Am I na- right? natural evolution. <laughs> yeah, pretty much chatting shit without any pedigrees uh, uh, about things
1: that we don't really know anything about. Huge assumptions have been made during the past 10 minutes of talking with no oh explanations or references.
0: Imagine if people actually knew stuff about evolution would listen to this. Maybe they would get triggered. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it's good, so it's always good to have a thing. To it. Right? Right?
0: <laughs> oh, it, it's very good. Uh, this is the beauty of things. You don't really have to know stuff to talk about them.
1: No, which is, which is good because otherwise I don't think I'd ever say a word. But.
0: <laughs> I, I would be a very quiet man as well. Yeah. But, okay, so... Obviously, Aberdeen, yeah. So you in, did your four years in. there. I'm <laughs> trying to, yeah. So you studied business and economics for four years. No, you did business, right? Yes. Yeah, so so
1: I actually did um, geography to begin with. Then I did geography and economics. Then I did drop geography and I did economics with business. And then I dropped economics. That was my uh, detailed walkthrough, if you want.
0: Ooh, I did not know that. Interesting. But yeah, so you graduated, which was quite good because we actually got to graduate before cro- Corona So we <laughs> had to, got to have this ac- actual ceremony, right? Oh, yes.
1: Ette Crayon and all that.
0: Uh, and then you ended up in Glasgow, didn't you?
1: I did. Yes. Um, as part of a, um, yeah, I don't know. I, it, it's a strange way to actually see how I got there. Because I like to consider myself slightly intelligent at, you know, the best of times, I suppose. Um, and like, like all graduates in business, like in your final year, you're there looking for every graduate job, you know, you, you're interviewing for all these different positions. And I, I was going for consultancy based jobs and then I kind of stumbled across this one, which is in finance, it's financial sales. I won't, I won't name the company because I think they're, they're very, they're, they're not very <laughs> good. Um, but yeah, so, um, so got, got, I was actually offered a few positions and I ended up taking this one because it's in financial sales. It, it was huge money reward. And at the time, because um, you don't really have any experience in work necessarily, I kind of thought, oh high money you know I can absolutely burn myself out for five years and get a lot of money and then I can move on something I really enjoy So I actually started that job and um, I think I was in it for five months, probably less I think it was like four months um, and just, just hated every second of it from the second or third week. Um, yeah it, it was one of the fastest learning curves I've ever experienced in my life in terms of I Suppose learning about like life and my own internal drivers, but yeah, it was, it was a, it, it wasn't the happiest period of my life. But if you like the person you are now, then you've got to appreciate all the experiences that you've had before now. So, yeah,
0: could you elaborate a little bit on why you hated that job so much?
1: Yeah, so, um, us, so the actual company, the, the branch of the company, are working there a bit. I mean, this is a backdrop. It was an awful um, management structure and it was, it was flawed in so many ways in terms of commission structures. Um, but in terms of like the actual job, it's, it's, I, I started realising that actually a lot of it wasn't that interesting. And also, you're going to be doing this job for the majority of your life or any job for the majority of your life until you get to, you know, your, your 60s when you retire and then you can finally do what you enjoy, which is strange to consider you're wasting 40 years of your life just to gain the precious 20 years of immobility and freedom. Um, so, yeah, I started to realise... Painting a bright future. Oh, yeah. So that's when I started thinking, actually, like, if, you, like, if you're going to be doing something Monday to Friday and then you essentially recover on the weekend just to start it again, just so that you can have one month of the year where you actually enjoy yourself, that's just ludicrous like in anyone's calculations that's ludicrous like if, if you're going to be doing something for the majority of your life you may as well at least have it and at least enjoy it or at least have it you know change now there's a, a i think it's called like dead first society is a film and you know there's a quote in that which was um you know if you are can you know make sure that you live an interesting life and if not interesting, and make sure that you live a meaningful life and if not meaningful at least make it interesting but i kind of thought i'm not going to you know, get to the age of, like, 40 or 50 when, you know, we're all having kids and stuff, and someone goes, oh, so what does Uncle Ed do? And someone say, like, oh, I don't know, but he has a nice car. Like, how much of an existence have you paid? Like, how can you spend 15 years of your life doing something just as a material possession? Like, at least make a change. So that moved me on to um, looking at different jobs and currently landing the job that I have, which is in, in social work. So
0: yeah for those, for those of you who don't know he was referring to the movie that poet society with the late robin williams absolute a
1: banger absolute banger
0: a banger yeah <laughs> it is a banger Can, can't say anything more than that yeah must watch must
1: watch but yeah so, so. i think
0: you raised a very good point i think you raised a very good point there sorry for interrupting but obviously that's that's a point which is talked about quite a lot obviously and most people are <laughs> very well aware of the fact that. are wasting their time working for an employer that they don't want to work for but i think also people have a very strange concept of time as well because time is not infinite right i mean i would assume we are most likely going to die and whatever you think is going to happen after death i mean yeah that's that could be different to different people but as our natural way of living in our natural sort of form and state we will cease to exist and you're 25 right yes yeah i think people like obviously when you're 25 and you look at your sort of timeline of life i mean you can live to do 70 80 maybe even 90 100 right i mean especially with all the new drugs coming out and sort of health initiatives but being young is sort of that's not something to take for granted, I would say. Mm-hmm. I mean, because it's one thing to be 25, but 35 is a huge difference from 25. I mean, even now I'm 30, I can feel, I can feel my, I can feel my bones aching much more now than it did when I was when I was 25 or even 20. So, yeah, I think that's something that a lot of people maybe don't fully grasp sometimes.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's interesting that you said things about them. Um, you know, those extra five years in your life. Because like, myself included, and I'm only 25, like you said, but everyone I know, and I've got friends across the whole spectrum, you know, of ages, they always say, oh, you know, if I was only a few years younger, and then, the, and then they, they would have done, I don't know, I don't know like, just, just say marathon or something, to call it cliche. And then they spend the next few years, like, doing the same shit. And then they say, oh, those years ago, I could have done this. And you, you almost, like, get caught in that rhythm of always looking back from the past with a favourable light without realizing that you know your past is created by the things you do in the present so to to, to kind of and you're always kind of looking back memorably and favorably upon the past so you may as well kind of do it now and a lot of people they kind of project into the future saying oh you know i'll change it you know in a year or two but then you get caught up in that in that monotonous kind of drone of life and like you said like the young parts of your life were so important and for me like i've loved my life up until. Well, it's not up until now, but I've loved my life. But I can see how as soon as you hit your career stages of life, life kind of becomes very long term. You start, you know, kind of talking in terms of years as opposed to in terms of months. And that almost slows it down in terms of what you can achieve. And that's why I think if you have a job, like which is still based on the industrial kind of work pattern in many ways, like you've got one month of the year. And to say, I'm going to work the next 10 months so I can go to Spain for a couple of weeks. That makes no sense. Like, if you're not enjoying a lot those 10 months, like, it's just balmy to see how people can actually play their lives and get to the age of, you know, 40, 50, and not really have very much enjoyment to show for it. As only people, like, who, you know, we idolise because they're wealthy or, you know, we idolise for whatever reason, we always look at them how they currently are and they're almost like they're finished form, but we fail to realise all the work that went into that to get in that, that position and they didn't just kind of like stay in that monotonous drone, they actually kind of caused action to get there. I mean, not all of them obviously, but... Um.
0: Yeah, and no, that's a very good point and also like, I mean studies have shown, I don't have the name of the study now, so maybe I'm actually citing someone else's words, mm-hmm that citing some other studies that they they maybe read, or maybe they cited some other person, that cited some other person, the potential of the study. But anyway, so they said that most millionaires are made in the age of 50. 50, right? So in the 50 range, yeah. 80%, I think it was. Which goes back to your point, obviously, about you don't really see the work that these people have put in to reach that state. And I mean, that work may maybe have been like, grotesque or horrible or dreadful or absolutely beautiful who knows
1: yeah but also it moves into like a, like a like a similar point like a lot of people they see um wealth accumulation as as a as you know it's almost like like the the metric of success that you're born with like everyone talks about oh they're successful because they've got you know, a big house or you know they've got lots of money so you end up you know working to make lots of money so that you can essentially buy your own freedom but the irony is that you kind of you know, you sold your freedom to get that money. Of course, it depends on the ratio and what industry you're in. But a lot of these, like you said, a lot of these millionaires, they're over 50, not because they played the fast game, but because they did it through very calculated and safe financial investment. Like a lot of the time, it's, you know, asset wealth, which gets them to that over 50, over a million mark. And that's a long time to actually spend just so that you can say, ah, oh, I'm rich. Like if you actually start to realize that you can kind of cut out the middleman, which is money. And if you're trying to like buy happiness or freedom, are there quicker ways to get there which don't require money? Maybe it's, it's changing your job, maybe it's um, reducing your hours, maybe it's taking up a hobby. Like, I know these sound incredibly trivial, but when you actually start to routinize them into your life, they, they're a huge part of your character development and also like your enjoyment of, of life. Whereas a lot of people, they kind of like, sacrifice a lot of that.
0: No, I absolutely agree. But see, sort of maybe two issues to your point i mean one is i think it's unreasonable that you that most people find a job they sincerely like at, at least yeah. now today and that's also tied to the fact that to my second point which is the fact that i mean if you look at asset prices so for example the cost of housing i mean just just from the financial crisis oh seven up until now like it's an exponential increase in asset prices but obviously, wages haven't really increased, if any, since then. And it obviously puts a lot of strain on people that they actually have to make money in order to have sort of a safe life, if they if they are to stay in a decent place, living a decent life. Yeah. So I think that's an issue that a lot of young people are struggling with as well, because that is the case. <laughs> you can't really deny that.
1: No, I completely agree. I say. Things wrong like I said like, like a lot of them coming from the fact that you know I like come from a I mean both of us do to a greater extent come from like a privileged position where we can say this whereas if people genuinely are you know impoverished they're going to struggle to to like holding onto any job just so that you can keep your head above water is is more important at that point than you know trying to you know free yourself from you know <laughs> the, the the corporate struggle that so many find themselves in but yeah like other point of like assets for example and buying them. You are kind of caught in that weird loop where, if you want to get a job, a good job, the chances are you're going to have to go to a city. So therefore, when you go to a city, you need to either pay rent or buy a house. But because everyone's doing that, they increase the house prices to the point at which you can't afford them. So it is like a, it's a complete, it's a complete crash and loop which which exists. And then you, that's where you have like you know the growth of places like London where. You know it's just kind of ballooned and now greater london is, is is huge because you have everyone working in the city and then buying outside the outside of the city but that's why i think people should stop moving on to because again like well in the uk I know it's more so in the uk than it is uh, on the continent but um like house buying is like such a huge thing for us like we want to be homeowners we really want to own a property of our own so therefore we almost like sh- you know shunt renters and think of renting as like this lower class or you know, second uh, second class citizen or second class option. But in actual fact, it kind of liberates you in terms of giving you flexibility to move around. Like you're not chucking money down the drain just because it's not being invested. You're still spending money on a location.
0: But that's for the UK. The Swedish the Swedish rental market is completely obscene, and I'm not I'm not going to even dive into it it's just it's regulated but it's also sort of unregulated so you have two separate markets essentially so it just creates a it's pretty much a big fuck up for people to try to get like a decent rental apartment so people are forced to get a mortgage okay but also they're more the the mortgages are restricted now because they realized they were lending out too much money to to the public so they restricted how much money you can you can rent or you can you can borrow from the banks yeah so so a lot of people can't even afford a mortgage anymore because that mortgage won't buy them a flat for example in stockholm but that's a separate discussion which we i'm sure we're going to dive into at some other point as well but interesting one so i want to go back a little bit to your current sort of state of affairs yeah so would you say that you sort of went into social work for like the higher purpose of things or
1: um yeah i uh, i think i would say that i mean of course another debate would be what is altruism like did i get into it because i like helping other people out because it makes me feel good or um did i get into it because i gen- you know i genuinely get a kick out of um, helping people for the greater good um
0: so, yeah. would you want to elaborate on that one maybe maybe you can answer that question right now
1: yeah i, I mean that that is more based on the philosophy of why do we do anything like why <laughs> like yeah. like i i think that's another one of the biggest hate for people who are on social media who film themselves giving pizza to a homeless person and go aren't i great like no just because the result is on a very basic level that man got fed or that person got fed it doesn't actually help because you haven't intrinsically wanted to help so it's not sustainable change but but yeah that, that, that's a whole different uh, kettle of fish, though, I'm, I'm sure. Yeah, I, I suppose the reason why i got into this one was because um, so it's going to be working with children and families. And I think with children, like, it's, you know, the most vulnerable people in society, but also those are the ones who then go on to leave society. So if you're going to be tackling any kind of social change or issue, then surely if you kind of treat it at the root cause of the problems that exist. So if you kind of actually manage to help people when they're young, it helps them when they're older so in terms of like a, i don't know like a, a macro level of, of change that makes more sense to me especially when you look at you know like uh, abuse or trauma cases how later on in life like they not everyone obviously but a lot of them can't participate in normal life if it's left untreated because they've suffered atrocities as children so i suppose that would be where, where my kind of viewpoint is and why i started started going well wanting to go into social work and and yeah, I, I do, like, so when I was doing, when I was in Aberdeen, like, there was some kind of, I was running these boxing sessions with a friend through the uh, University Boxing Club at local, local school, which was, the brief was it, um, there were some children there who are kind of on the fringes of the school, I suppose, like, they're more at risk than others, and they felt that having boxing kind of gives them uh, more of a cause and kind of Helps them participate a bit more, and through doing that, it was actually you know quite rewarding from a first pers- from a personal level, I suppose, in the fact that it felt good to actually help uh, someone or give them direction. So yeah, that, that that's why I wanted to do it, and I can see myself, and also, at least like if you come back from like a hard day's work, like a 10-hour shift or something, you kind of know you've done some good. Whereas when I was working for um that that company in Glasgow, like coming home from like a 10-hour shift you felt like you know like, like what's what's the best thing you've done you've managed to help someone with their taxes like whoopee we'll, we'll like you haven't really done, done done anything to be honest with you so at least if you're going to do a bit if you're going to put a lot of effort into something and burn yourself out like on a very superficial level i suppose it's better done towards a towards a, a social good or a social just than to something which doesn't really impact people in a, in a good way or in a in a, I know, I suppose in a socially
0: good way what well, i find interesting with this whole like sort of career shift and also your explanation on why you you moved into social care is the fact that you are actually not only talking about doing good you actually changed you actually went away from yeah making money in commission right to actually yeah trying to make a change in society and make it for i mean so you're not, you're, not, you're not virtue signaling on social media saying, yeah, I'm such a good person because I'm going to do this and that. You're actually like grabbing the balls by the horn and actually go deep into something that I think a lot of people wouldn't have the stomach to do because it's, I would assume that some of those stories are quite horrendous, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, just anecdotally from some of the stuff we've heard about there, you know, they're, they're almost like unspeakable things, but they happen quite common. Uh, well, relatively commonly. So it's, it's, it's things where you can help in that kind of sense yeah it's true like even eventually like signaling on online is, is probably the worst one because you're not doing it for the right reasons like you know, and almost like you're not really putting your money where your mouth is the whole concept of like an armchair or a champagne socialist also kind of comes to mind where i've got lots of people who are going to talk about social inequality and how bad it is and how they want to go into policy making but again it's like what we talked about before like people who create policy are the ones who are older and experienced in their professions. And you're not going to get there as a graduate from, you know, uh, you know a, a semi-decent university. Um, so you need to start somewhere. So if you're going to get on that kind of career path, then you may as well start doing something like social work or something which, you know, working for a charity which actually affects social change, because that's going to give you kind of, you know, like the, the tools and experience needed to understand what's really wrong with society. There's definitely like a disconnect between um, academia and actually what goes on. So i think if you're if that's if that's what you want to do then i think getting into social work or you know something similar is probably more beneficial than you know sharing a post on facebook about how bad the world is because everyone knows the world is bad but no one's doing anything oh of course this is is a completely different kettle of this the world could be seen as bad and i think need more people to do something about it because that's that's you know we start moving into things about how Actually, social media, mainstream media, make the world actually a lot worse than that is but, but I guess that's that's a whole different um, point.
0: Yeah, but it's easy. To, it's easier to sort of pretend that you're doing good by sharing stuff because that doesn't require any effort or time.
1: Yeah, and, and also but it's... actually
0: going. Yeah, go on. Yeah, but actually, once you're out actually went out went out into the world to actually try to do something requires time effort and also sacrifice and i think we, i think we're also stuck in this loop of good and bad that you are either a good person or you're a bad person like there's no middle ground yeah. so you can you can't be this and still be a good people but but you you could possibly not dislike this thing and not be a good person i mean you see this like i would say that's also a disconnect uh, and one of the sort of realities that we're facing today as well that nuances and all these sort of nice gray areas are getting more and more i don't know not removed per se but i think you understand what I, I,
1: know exactly, to I know exactly and exactly yeah I, I completely agree with you i feel like people aren't yeah they fail to see nuance and they and it's almost like it's there's safety in knowing a definite thing and people really struggle like oh i think on like an internal level when they see like someone who they think is bad or good doing something which is opposite to what they label them as that's called like positioning like if you meet someone you've got natural pre, you know, preconceptions about who they should be based on you know uh, what they wear last feet even like race comes into it and you kind of put them somewhere in your mind and as soon as they don't do that thing your mind has a bit of a like a oh that, that's not comfortable you know that's a disconfirmed kind of belief um but yeah i, I think when it comes around to, to the oversimplification it, it is a problem I, i'm just thinking i the not know this i can, there's a uh, there's an article i read on the tab about people who watch disney all the time And it just slated them because they said what the the problem is with adults just watching disney films and becoming disney princesses in their late 20s is that disney kind of it it oversimplifies the world because it's meant for children you shouldn't present complex problems but it means that when it comes down to a complex problem being presented to someone they almost lack the ability to think in nuance like 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 a good one is 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 almost about virtual signaling and about good and bad so like there are lots of social problems with the world like child poverty um, starvation colonialism uh, environmental problems and i think if you're kind of trying to tackle one of those like oh you're a huge environmentalist and you're really going for that and you're kind of actually helping the cause but you forget about um, you know inequality people think that they kind of say oh that's great we're doing over there but you're still a bad person because you're not doing perfect over there people like that. They don't give people kudos where they need to actually be given kudos like there are lots of different people in the world fighting lots of different battles and instead of kind of you know picking out the negatives of what someone isn't doing you should actually kind of praise them for the benefits that they are doing but our you know our brains aren't necessarily wired like that or people don't like to talk about that because it's easier to talk about the negatives than it is to talk about the positives i suppose
0: ah uh, very good i mean again a very good point but i think it's also because everything today is so polarized and political politicized as well so it's impossible to be a person who would like lower taxes but still be a humane a humanist at the same time it's impossible to be a feminist but still like men right i mean that's the thing that people people when people hear those things they they stick this person into a box and there's no nuances and that reality has to be true because it's easy because it simplifies things yeah you don't have to think and ponder on and try to sort of extrapolate what's going on here yeah but i would say there's a
1: big thing in um. i'm a vegan obviously cuz great um <laughs> of course you are <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so there's a big thing like the vegan movement called um apologists so like, I, I, and I, I, think that being vegan is like a multi, there's lots of different scales and intensities you can go to. Like, you can not eat meat and fish or animal products, but then when you start looking further into it, you know, you've got leather, you've got lots of al- um, alcohol which has, you know, animal products in it, and then you've got, you know, horse riding, pet keeping, all these different things. And of course, it's a scale. But a lot of extreme vegans they kind of say, if you're not perfect, you you're, you're useless, you're crap. And they don't. Again, they don't appreciate the nuance of actually someone's belief. Like, like, and also in terms of um how to change someone, you know, like you're never going to get anywhere by saying, "Oh, you're crap, you're doing badly." It's like again, you kind of encourage the positives that they're doing. But it's because people they strive, you know, perfection in society, and they don't. And it, like you said, it's polarized. It's you're all or nothing, and you get that in like a in like a sustainability. It's like, oh, you recycled and you use wooden toothbrushes. But you drive a car, so therefore you're not an environmentalist. It's like, no, like there's lots of different parts here, and you need to start appreciating it as a complex problem as opposed to something which is, you know, all knowing and all encompassing or nothing.
0: I would say it's impossible to win, isn't it? In a way,
1: <laughs> it feels like because that. <laughs> regardless of what,
0: Because regardless of what you do, you're going to be a hypocrite. Because it's just, I would say it's just generally impossible to be a good person overall and in a way what's good and what's bad i mean obviously we have i think that's something i don't want i don't want to open that (laughs) kind of worm because that's a rabbit hole that i think i can't dug myself up from but again i think it's just we have to have discussions we have to be able to talk about things without getting emotionally aroused i mean it's fine to be emotionally aroused and sort of getting get triggered but i think you have to try to stifle that or those emotions as well and not let them erupt in a way that the other party sort of has to shut up because otherwise you would feel uncomfortable or too angry to proceed the conversation yeah
1: but it comes into like the development of opinion through conversation uh, and because if you're going to be talking about well, when if you talk about anything you naturally actually develop your own opinion on, on things and your own character on things but if like, like you said like there's no debate and people aren't ready to debate or talk about something it stifles uh you know knowledge generation uh, and because uh, especially when you look at like, politics for example it's becoming increasingly increasingly polarized and people they won't listen to the other side. In this example, I'm talking about, you know, uh, left very rarely listens or acknowledges the right even existing. And, you know, they're pure evil. And <laughs> well, that, that even comes on to the, the good and bad. They are bad people. There's nothing good about them. They cannot be good. And that means that there's no talk here. And people almost like they, they internalize their views. And when it comes to voting, they vote. And then people are shocked that when an election doesn't go their way because we're the loudest speakers. So, yeah, like, you look at Trump, for example. I mean, I don't support the guy, but. Because people don't listen to where Trump supporters get their opinions from or how they kind of came up with those views, it means that people can't understand it from a logic and then kind of tackle it at that at that level. Instead, they just ignore them and shout at each other. And then when it comes to voting, everyone is completely shocked. I mean, I know there are lots of different issues that got you know Trump elected, but that's one of them. And yeah, it's because people, like you said, don't don't talk.
0: Yeah, I think talking is so crucial. And I know that some of you out there might not like this reference, but I'm going to say it anyway. So, my man Jordan Peterson once said that talking is actually thinking as well. So when you are talking about certain things, you're actually formulating an idea. And I'm not say I'm not sure that he said the following words i'm gonna say but i mean if you keep if you have something on your mind and you're not allowed to talk about it how will you know if those thing will those things or those ideas will be received in the external world and if you are if you get pushed into the shadows instead because you have maybe the wrong opinions according to the majority or if you're afraid to to voice your opinions i mean i would say the shadow will only grow, grow bigger and bigger and bigger and if the shadow is big enough big enough it won't be a shadow anymore it will sort of overtake the light that's a little bit like i think that's a reference to lord of the rings
1: i, <laughs> I failed to recognize it from somewhere <laughs> go from jordan to lord of the rings but... no. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, that was that was that was my point on that.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I do quite like Jordan Peterson. Yeah, no, it's 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 completely true what he says, but people won't like what he says because they might disagree with him with something else. But, but it's almost like what what he's saying is, is is I don't think it's ironic or maybe that's not the right word, but through him saying that, like there are people out there reacting to it, saying he's wrong, because they don't like him for another reason. So it's almost like affirming his. His point
0: even harder. But I, I mean, I would say I'm guilty of that as well. I mean, I'm sure there's some uh, there's some journalists or public figures out there that I have discarded because they said something that I felt like, oh no, I I highly disagree. But if I listen to, let's say, some of their podcast episodes, I'm sure I could find something that would be like, yeah, this is actually pretty good. This makes sense. So I think we're all guilty of that, of discarding someone just because they said something we highly disagree yeah. on, which is a shame, though, which I, get, which I guess it, which goes to show that maybe we are just very emotional creatures. And maybe nowadays we are struggling with handling those emotions to actually listening to people that, that we are disagreeing with and trying to find commonalities rather than disagreements as well. Because those disagreements will be there, obviously, but there will be a lot of commonalities and agreements as well. I would assume.
1: Yeah, no, I'd agree. My mind
0: just went completely blank. What I was going to say. <laughs> yeah, I feel like this uh, sort of podcast have taken a complete different turn than I, or did, <laughs> I initially
1: uh, intended. Yeah. I was, I was going to mention so, thing about um, yeah, sure about mainstream media. A nice classical turn here. But it was only on your it was only on your point about um, about not liking someone because you know you heard like a bad article or something, and then you listen to their podcast and you think oh, actually they're right. But it's so funny how like you can you can quiz you know random people about their opinions on lots of different individuals, and they all have an opinion. But when you start to actually ask them where did that come from. A lot of the time it's just from, you know, like news headlines of articles written by, you know, news, you know, big newspapers, which is, you know, a lot of the time it's, it's it, although it's an element that you should draw from, it shouldn't be the be all or end all of that person's, you know, of, of your opinion about that person. And, and in fact, there are so many times when I've asked people and they kind of say like, oh, you know, th- th- you know this, this is a bad thing. I read it on The Guardian. And then I kind of go, okay, I'll Google it. And then read the read the actual article. And actually the news headline like, is completely disconfirmed by the very thing that they're talking about in the um in the article. A lot of people because people are too lazy to actually spend, you know, 20 minutes reading about something, which is going to make them think, than actually well, yeah, all, and actually uh, doing it. And so you'd much rather just kind of listen and skim over newspaper headlines and, and let your opinion in that way. But there are so many famous people I I know and I don't like them because I once saw on the BBC that did a bad thing like everyone's guilty of it because you know as soon as you hear one thing you store it as like a memory and you need to have it as a as a preconception before you even because it could be bad so that, that's how one was hardwired to believe but i think it's very difficult but we should try and you know counteract that and constantly try and you know be curious about whether we're making assumptions too quickly about someone
0: i i absolutely agree but i think sometimes we need to we need to be taught this or someone has to maybe point this out but i think today's day and age it's just so much information there's just so much going on all all the time so unless you are a very 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 curious person you might not come to that conclusion hmm, that hmm, maybe i should sort of try to digest this from from different sources to try to build myself
1: yeah i've got a, I've got a like
0: sh- sort of a more complete picture, and I'm guilty of that as well I mean I am i mean i I think recently I'm spending so much time like scheming like YouTube clips <laughs> just go through blogs very quickly
1: because it ties into your innermost the uh, brain function addiction bump, bump, yeah, bump. A, seven minute videos suppose, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah there's a, there's one example which um, I learned recently on a on a call, and i I don't want to I was saying this tentatively because it's quite a big thing to say and I don't know whether I've got it correct, but they're talking about um, childhood abuse, sexual abuse, and they're talking about pedophilia and incest. And the point that they made about, and it's about remaining curious as to your assumptions is that um, like in society, uh, you know, saying this very tentatively because I don't want it to come out like I'm in any way like a supporter of pedophilia because I'm not. And now I'm stumbling over my words. <laughs> <laughs> so because and it makes me seem like i am but no because paedophilia has and paedophiles have been so stigmatized and built up to be these monsters and you know we hate 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 them and we can see and again about that objective being bad or good we consider them to be bad and pure evil and the most abhorrent individuals but it means that we fail to recognize when someone is actually a paedophile because in our mind we imagine you know like this scummy low-life person who is just a you know you know. you in like a white van or something ready to pounce when in actual fact the majority of paedophilia takes you know it, it's a it's a father or like a brother or a parent or figure or someone close to the child in the family setting so again this is almost like because we we've built up this this, ob- this objective bad and good means that we've become blind to when actually bad is going on because someone can actually present themselves to be a very good and normal functioning member of society that actually behind closed doors they're committing you know some of the worst atrocities in the world but it's because mm-hmm. like we've got too much of a you know it's, it's like you said it's not it's a non-nuanced sense of reality so yeah that's, that's only like a small tangent but it's only like a small example i suppose that kind of shows that it can be quite dangerous if you don't remain curious about and that's even bad people. I think you should well, about about good people. Like you should be curious about whether someone's wholeheartedly good or not, because you could actually start to notice things which are quite dark about them. And vice versa, you should be curious about bad people, so that you can actually start to notice good things about them. Because you know, it's not it's not great to hate anyone. No one wants to hate someone. So if you, if you can kind of liberate yourself from that very narrow way of thinking, it might actually be quite beneficial. You may open up your mind to different opinions.
0: I think that was a very good point, though. To be fair, and and I and also I think those, but those blind spots. I think those blind spots occur in everyday life, and like I mean, as I said before, when talking about, yeah, I don't like this journalist because he wrote something about something I disagree with. That's obviously a huge blind spot because now I boxed him into something that I've decided not to open again, essentially it triggers me
1: and, and it frames it frames your your next learning because if you like read like a like an article and you read who it's by like your mind is already in that framework of thinking it's bollocks i don't like it which means that you become closed to learning something new which is which isn't great
0: i think i want i sort of i think i would sort of for the last part of the podcast i think we should maybe talk about maybe some problem solving like maybe some Potential solutions
1: to this. Solutions to uh, yeah. <laughs> to, to a global problem of behaviour. <laughs> Easy peasy. You got it. No, so how can we?
0: So how can we sort of create a society where we are allowed to have different opinions, where we can discuss things? I mean, where do we even begin?
1: Well, I think that's that's <laughs> it's it's such a complex problem. Um, I, I think it would be—I mean, with all problems, I suppose it's good to see where they originate from. And I'm—I'm I'm not sure where where we'd start with this one, because I suppose it'd be quite easy to point your fingers at mainstream media or, you know, like the echo chambers on Facebook, where you know they naturally polarize things. But but then you could dig even deeper than that, like you know, humans have a negativity bias, which is pre-programmed into your brain which you know means that you pick out bad things far more than you do good things so when it comes around to actually looking at information you'll always see bad 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 and that means that naturally you're going to become polarized i suppose if you're going to talk about from a very superficial level you could talk about in in, as children we should be encouraged to um i don't know interact with difference far more than we do now like uh, like uh, on a side note like i know a lot of um Finnish friends they talk about the national service that they do and how one of the beneficial things it does is that you actually mingle with a variety of people who you wouldn't do before you know across different uh you know uh, wealth different classes different ethnicities um, and different locations which means that actually you're far more community-based because you've experienced those different people whereas if you kind of just grow up in a town which is quite homogenous and then the first time you interact with you know like a um, a different opinion you become quite you know defensive because it's something I you're not used to for starters and i suppose that's almost like one one place where it might come from but, but how you actually what, what do you implement is, is, a, is a different question i'm not I'm not going to say we should implement national service for for the world because that's based on a militarization of, of a nation which costs money yeah
0: i'm what, very happy with that answer what would you I'll say be, I'll, 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 <laughs> now that's something i've been pondering on about as well to be fair that i think we have to introduce kids from an early age to different opinions to different people and make them aware that the world is not just one thing the world is different and it's it's okay to be different it's okay to have different opinions but i think that could also obviously lead into some other skewed sort of ways of teaching kids some stuff that could be i mean even called social engineering almost so i think it's a very complex thing because we are complex creatures
1: yeah i mean there's just the counter as a devil's advocate point of view like like we are, i do think that we are encouraging acknowledge and acceptance of difference more so than when i was a child anyway in today's society Like you know, to to be part of, you know, LGBTQ is far more accepted than it was even 25 years ago, you know, and I think, I mean, you know, we won't touch on ethnicity or race, but I think when it comes around to allowing people to talk about those, it's a different question. Uh, Like, because you talk about them, like, I suppose, like a very anti-liberal standpoint would be um, like safe spaces. You know, in universities, how they're safe spaces, you're not allowed to actually confront someone or make someone be uncomfortable. And I think that almost could, I don't know, almost like provocate people not being able to handle uncomfortable conversations. So I think actually teaching people to deal with uncomfortable conversations as well as teaching them to accept differences is, is more important. Because I feel like we were quite scared to put people into places un- of discomfort because it's not nice it's not a nice feeling to, to be in discomfort like if you have ever had a difficult conversation with a friend or a colleague or you know a family member like they're not pleasant but they're necessary to get something done and i think when it comes down to discussing political beliefs or social opinions on on anything it's, it's it's a necessity to actually have that uncomfortable moment so that you can actually share opinions and kind of agree and disagree and actually create a new opinion or create a positive outcome from that So yeah i don't really know i was going with that all were ended but uh,
0: no but actually thing. i mean i i come i agree 100 percent. i think that was actually more what i was trying to refer to but i think you put it very very elo- eloquently i think you thank you you pointed out what i wanted to say i mean the fact that Obviously, we have a society where we always trying to, yeah, you could be different, you can be this, you could be that, and that's OK, which I guess is fine, obviously. But obviously, maybe sometimes it can go a bit too much to either side. But to have those uncomfortable conversations teaches someone that not only, I mean, not only that life isn't just rosy and everything, everyone's going to get along, that but it also teaches people it's okay to stand your ground and be firm and actually tell people off, but also respect others' opinions. And I think if you can grow, and like you said, I mean, if you can teach kids that from an early age, and obviously if their brains are wired that way when they go into adolescence and then even into adulthood, we could potentially have a society, I mean, most likely where, we would have a discourse of discussion of openness or even collaboration more so than just having different sort of sides shouting at each other but being very very much not constructive at all yeah so i think that was a very good point Uh, i think we're gonna have to wrap up now but i would like to okay obviously this is completely different from what (laughs) we've been talking about yeah it's changed but do you have do you have a do you have like a habit or routine that you've been doing a lot lately that you feel have made your life better
1: um uh, actually i have over the past so well i've just been on holiday for a week with my girlfriend who have not seen in ages um so apart from that week i'll and i know it's quite talked about at the moment but uh mindfulness or meditation like when i was um doing this um summer institute thing for my job which was five weeks of like intensive uh training like yeah, I, I don't know. I found this. that oh, um, I'm mumbling. and <laughs> I get that. But a lot of the time people fail to, to appreciate like some really seemingly trivial things. Like people want that quick fix idea. But actually for me, like just going to bed at a reasonable time uh, and waking up, trying to wake up early, drinking a glass of water and meditating for 10 minutes and making sure I go for like a 5k run every two days it just like it's it's given me such a good base layer to achieve other things so, uh, yeah i think that's it but it, sa- it sounds really trivial because i'm basically saying just like i'll oh, make sure that you you know go to bed early do some exercise and uh, think positively but i do think that there's a lot to be said for quite trivial things built into your routine so yeah and also eat vegan but that's it that's it <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, just put it out there. I might I might cut that out cut <laughs> it out when I when I edit this podcast.
1: Maybe say eat meat <laughs> in some really badly uh, uh, <laughs> cut way.
0: I w- it was great to have you here, Eddie. I will now stop the recording.
1: Thank you.